0: With a fantastic podcast with JN Cameron and Matthew Moe, a discussion of inspirations, practices, and the fiction that we love. Too
1: bad she won't live. I'll
0: be a lot of better.
1: But then again, who does?
0: A podcast by writers for writers. Alive. <laughs> to you by Tuesday Night Publishing. And hello everybody, this is Matt. This is the return of the Tales of the Fantastic Podcast. We had to go on hiatus for about a year, but we're back now. And we're jumping into uh, science fiction, uh, the first part of this discussion. Again, Joe and I sat down and we had a huge, long, rambling discussion about science fiction, the things we love. We jump all over the place. And um, I've broken it up that and it'll probably appear over the next few podcasts. Uh, it could be three, maybe four. But this is part one of our uh, discussion of science fiction. And we kind of work through the things... How we were introduced to, so the things that were kind of the tent pole things as we were growing up. And we do uh, jump all over the place. So, part one of science fiction inspirations. And hello, hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Uh, This is uh, Matt and Joe back again. Back, back again, once again. after I think the last episode went out in December. The last episode went out in December,
1: and probably the last time we saw each other was was when the shutdown started that previous. Uh, that's true. Year that summer
0: because uh, we recorded a lot of those things uh, two or three months before we released them. That's right. That's right. So Man. this is the first time uh, really since all this stuff I happened know. that Joe and I have been hanging out. It was sometime last week. Was the first time we got yeah. Together. Um, so to explain a little bit what, what, what happened, uh, without going into too much detail, um, I had two big things go on. Yep. Uh, yep. My, my mom is older and has Parkinson's, and she had two seizures where, uh, that landed her in the hospital twice. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad was kind of unable to care for her, so we uh, moved, moved them in with my sister, uh, my older sister, and uh, mm. so that was a whole big thing going on. And then on top of that, in December, we discovered uh, Andrew found out that yeah, she had breast cancer. Man, so we went through that whole thing. She's on the other other side now and doing well. Yep. Um, but on then COVID of on course, top of all the that pandemic, yeah. So uh, we were just kind of taken out for <laughs> a <little> while. <laughs> Definitely. So anyway, we're gonna move in. <clears throat> we're we're all better now. Things are things are good. Yep. And we're gonna move into our first. Inspiration section of the new podcast.
1: Awesome. Focus on science fiction Absolutely. again.
0: Back to science fiction. Yeah, one of our favorite things. Really, yeah, it really is. And like the uh, some of these things that we'll talk about, we did cover a bit in mm-hmm. uh, the post-apocalyptic stuff. Yeah. Um, so we won't dwell that much on those mm-hmm. things, but um, there are some things I do want to talk about. Like yeah, we're going to go. It's like movies, um, books. Mm-hmm. Television shows, yeah, magazines, yeah, all sorts of stuff. Awesome. Um, okay, so I guess we'll go for it. <laughs> Let's go for it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so one of the first questions I want to ask you is: okay. wh- how do you? What do you think is the definition, or what do you? How do you quantify what science fiction is? Right. Well, I mean, it's it, it, It's
1: to me, science fiction is just just anything that deals with the future. Mm-hmm. how we'll live in the future as people, future technologies, future culture. Yeah. Um, basically, because, I mean, we would have these conversations as kids. I don't know if you remember, we'd talk about, and I'm sure everyone did, you know, when we'd have flying cars yeah. or robot butlers or the things we read about in Ray Bradbury. Yeah. When would that become a reality? And now it's just... There are things going on that I could have never dreamed of. That yeah. is reality today. Like science fiction is here. Like the like the Neuralink monkey playing Pong, you know, yeah. or, or or the 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 Boston Dynamics robots. It's just it's amazing what they have, you know. Like and and, and it's all so much better than we thought. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you remember the the horrible like little boxy robot in Runaway with Tom Selleck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a box on wheels. It's awful. It's like those—they're like bad versions of those battle bots. You know? Yeah. Everything's so much better now. That's true, and it, it, it's cool. I'm just excited about science fiction. I had like my first sort of just uh, like it was a non-horror, just a normal science fiction story published in an anthology. Uh-huh. And so we're we're just thinking about it. Yeah.
0: And too, there's something about I think uh, as we're thinking about like narrated fiction and stuff. Uh-huh. There's something that's really fun and goes to, kind of appeals to both of us. Yeah, in doing narrated fiction, that the sci-fi stuff. Yeah, definitely. Partly because when I was a kid, yep. we used to listen to uh, the what was it Brigham Young University did a thing for. Uh, uh, I think it was for NPR. Mm-hmm. Remember Bradbury 13? Oh, Bradbury 13. So they took 13 man. stories by Ray Bradbury and they produced yeah, them really right. well. Yes. And um, we used to listen to those all the time. Like it had, you know, uh, The Velt. The Velt was really well oh. done, which, you know, The Velt, man. That he's talking is an about. Amazing story. He's talking about VR uh-huh. and coming up with a way to make it work. Way back in like 19, no one something. had written
1: anything like that, I and, don't think and, and so. just VR was just—it yeah. was a science fiction
0: dream. And now, yeah. So you have that. So yeah. they did a bunch of really great stories. The wind was another one they did that was really yeah. good, and that's a perfect one. The for Sound the radio of thunder. Sound of thunder was time in there. travel. Yeah, the the one where they go back to Mexico. Remember in the 1920s yeah. to
1: escape the that's war. That's Right. That's right. I don't and, even remember uh, the name of that one, but that was yeah.
0: yeah. Oh gosh, I don't remember what it is either, but. Uh, anyway. What
1: was the one on the planet where it
0: was raining all the time? Oh, that's the... the. the I think it's called The Day That Rained Forever. Yeah, yeah. They're on, man. like, Venus, and they have yeah. to try and get to... They, they've they built these little sunrooms that will that's warm right. them up. Otherwise, that's right. they kind of go crazy yeah, and die yeah, out there. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really good. But anyway, so we wanted to talk ab- ab- about that, and I agree. I think that's... Uh, science fiction, for me, is always the... It's... When people look at what's happening now and just extrapolate, and, and when they kind of go crazy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, come up with their own s- stuff, like they follow their own um, line of thought to where they think we're going to be—that's right. Sometimes yeah. it's great, and sometimes it's not. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I tend to like the stuff where it's not that great. <laughs> yeah, me too. I like every yeah, uh, I but love I love everything. I love the utopia stuff too. That that can be really interesting. Oh yeah. Uh, okay, so what do you want to start with? You want to talk about TV shows, or? Um, sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, so I just I just chose like a specific TV show, but I can target. You know, I can speak about in general. You know, Star Trek. Yeah. You know, of course, everybody knows Star Trek, so yeah. I won't go into depth what it's about. Or, but it's just that was the first science fiction show I really started watching. Yeah in depth and got hooked on and it was Whoa. the old one with Captain Kirk yeah me and too yeah I know you're a fan of a Data Holmes <laughs> I, Sherlock I Data mind, I don't mind Ooh. Sherlock
0: Data
1: in <laughs> the next generation but I'm more like the old Star I, Trek
0: I would say that my favorite series <laughs> is the original series <laughs> But I love yeah. the spinoffs. I love that stuff too. Written, yeah, some of them are great. When they're re- every series, when they're yes, really they're good, they're all good. They're really yeah. good.
1: I mean, even like the the newest one is is off to, is awesome with Captain Burnett. Yeah, so Burnham or Burnett series. Burnett. What's her name? Uh, I don't or, know. Okay, I haven't but, uh, really finished the new one yet. But um, I remember you had the whole DVD series of, of uh-huh. the old Star Trek. Uh, so we would cassettes. watch them yeah. all the time. as video cassettes, yeah. and so my favorite episode though, from the old Star Trek is uh, the one, I don't know, do you remember this? Where they went to a, a planet where it was called A Taste of Armageddon. Oh, yeah, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were these people, the thing is, it was Emin- 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 R 7? Uh, something think, like, something that. like that. <laughs> These people didn't want them there, but you know, Kirk, they go anyway. Yeah. and investigate what's going on. It was like Kirk, Spock, um, some some yeoman, someone, and some red shirts. Um, you know, at first went down, and they discovered that there's this virtual war going on with another planet. Uh, I think it was Vendicar.
0: Vendicar. Oh and my the, gosh. And the
1: computers ran it. Yeah. And so whenever there was a virtual strike, they didn't actually destroy anything, but all the people in that sector had to report to a disintegration center right. to be disintegrated, and the death count so was good. totaled. And man, that freaked me out yeah. when I was
0: a kid. What a cool idea. And yeah.
1: of course, man, there was a lot of awesome Spockiness in it, and I just, <laughs> Spock's probably one of my favorite science fiction characters of all time yeah i remember the the part in that where he controlled like the guard using telepathy and he would you know telepathic powers yeah. like, through the wall and oh that's right oh, he's, i man. remember him
0: yeah he's like puts his yeah, hands on there and, he's, that, yeah. and that
1: music yeah just, so good. Oh, it was so good i, I love that episode yeah uh, uh so look it up watch it if you haven't seen it it's called a taste of Armageddon in. While I'm talking about Star Trek, I just want to throw a shout out. I know a, a, a writer from Tulsa named Mac Boyle who does, along with his friends Laura, Eris, and Z, this awesome, hilarious Star Trek podcast you have to find called The Holodeck is Broken. Okay. So if you get a chance, find The Holodeck is Broken. You can find it at his website, uh, partyapocalypse.com. Okay, and it's on, but the podcast it's itself is on all the podcasts. Yeah, yep, yep.
0: Okay, sweet. so yeah, Star Trek was Star just Trek was huge. was huge. Yeah, it was huge. Uh, yeah, I
1: loved it, and I really thought like that's how it worked in spaceships, yeah. and like you stood around I, without worrying
0: about, yeah. you know, zero gravity. And <laughs> Here's the th- one of the things I liked about it is that they worked, uh, they found a way. They, I think, they realized as a show mm. that uh, special effects were not what they could focus on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, like that that old story he talks about how the reason why they even use the transporters is because they didn't have a... they couldn't afford to make the ship land all the time. There you go. So they they he like creatively, yeah. in, you know, came up with something. Mm-hmm. And then, so because of that, it's all about character more than... That's s- right. I mean, there's a, a lot of ridiculous schlocky yeah. stuff in it. Right? <laughs> it's all... It's it's the, the relationship between those three guys. Yep. And, um it's just really really good I mean it's there's a great, great show. just great creativity Classic. like uh, one of the very first ones that I remember seeing was uh, the Corbomite maneuver remember that's Yo, the one where yeah. they're talking to just that that big alien head oh, and man. Uh, there's like this huge wall of plasma or something in front of them that it won't let them pass through or something and uh, anyway the whole thing ends up being it's its what's his name Clint Howard Ron yeah. Howard's a little brother, that's or right. older brother. That's right. And now the Tron, yeah, that whole yep, thing. Yep, out. yep, yep. Uh, but there's so many good episodes. I like the ones where uh, they get kind of silly, too, like the one where they oh, go yeah. down to the uh, the planet that's every, the their Bible is like an old book on gangsters, remember? Uh, so yes,
1: of course, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and then they is, can... Is that the one where uh, they were talking about this on
1: the Holodeck is Broken, where Kirk has that, like, ridiculous velvet hat. Oh, yeah. It's They're awful. like... like and, and like, like uh, they let Shatner dress himself or something. I think kind of <laughs> Spock even says in there, he's try, trying to use the dialect. and he goes like, "Hey, you guys, you know, it's like hey, you got the heaters. He's got the heaters. Uh, it's awful, yeah. But I,
0: it's just great. And then, but then, what's cool too is you can go from something as cheesy as that to a story mm-hmm. like uh, the City on the Edge of Forever, you know, oh, where man. it's, it's a, that heartbreaking moment with McCoy and yeah. and those, all of that stuff so they and because it was all about character um it really uh it resonates oh yeah and Definitely. plus two the you know the just that that whole political side of it as well that mm-hmm. they were in the middle of the vietnam war right wouldn't it or or it was- maybe not yet when did Star Trek first came out in '66? Mm-hmm. Well, they were getting into it. They eventually, were. I yeah, mean, there was civil unrest, a, all yeah, sorts of stuff yeah, going on, they and all they, of, yeah. he was projecting a future where everybody lived in harmony. And you had women yeah, on the bridge. Least, you had a black yeah. woman on the bridge. No man, the yeah, first interracial it was, kiss that ever it was, happened. It was, it was Star advanced. Trek.
1: It was advanced for yeah. its time. It, was, it really was. People don't
0: realize. Yeah, yeah and he, he had some, you know somebody uh, you know an, an Asian on the yeah, on the Sulu never, before, stuff. yeah. never before never before yeah really awesome. So there's, there's that one. Sweet. I would like to bring up... I don't know if... You've never really gotten into this, but I remember finding Doctor Who. I know. Yeah, on, talk about uh, in the, it. Yeah. Uh, in the 1980s, they would run um, episodes at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on P- on our P- local PBS station. Yeah. And I first found Doctor Who uh, when they were playing the, the Key to Time series... Okay. That's that. Those stories, and it was Tom Baker, the, you know, the springy-haired guy with a really long, stupid scarf. Yeah. Just insane, super low budget, but again, it was just the stories were so awesome. Yeah. And um, that's another one, too, that it does, I mean, sometimes it's ridiculous. When they rebo- rebooted it again with, um, uh, what's his name in the 90s, David Tennant. Mm-hmm. It was some of the episodes are fantastic. Some mm-hmm. of them are just some of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah. So it's really uneven. But overall, the ideas in it are really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just the idea of the TARDIS to begin with, yeah. I thought was fantastic as oh, a yeah. kid. It blew my mind. <laughs> and uh, K Nine, man, I loved K Nine when I was little. K Nine. So uh, and I so I've continued watching it as, since the reboot. And like I said there are moments that are fantastic the episode David Tennant episode Blink written by Stephen Moffat is I defy anyone. It's one of the best hours of television ever, ever written. Okay, I think it's so so okay, good. Okay. And uh, I'll have
1: to rewatch that. You have to now. watch Since that. You one. said
0: that I will. We'll have to watch re-watch. it. We'll, we'll watch it together. Yeah. The Doctor, the Doctor's even kind of a sad, uh, kind of a side character in that. Oh wow. Okay. Um, it's it's uh, phenomenal. So Doctor Who was one. That was a big one for me, mainly because I'm an Anglophile, and knowing it was from the UK mm-hmm. made me love uh, it more. <laughs> yep. Um. Okay, so let's. if you were to go back and think, what was the first real science fiction-y thing that you read? That I read? That you read, yeah. That what,
1: I really... Like, what well, novel? of course. I mean, of course I have to, you know, Ray Bradbury. But we've talked about him. We've yeah. probably talked about the Martian Chronicles. Was that the already first one, one million, of you read? But that's the first science, actual science fiction I started reading was Ray Bradbury because of Lewis Meyer's bookstore on Peoria. That old guy. I know. There was this amazing old man named Lewis Meyer who had a bookstore that's no longer there. He's long dead. He used to do
0: television book reviews on local stations. And
1: I would ride my bicycle down to his bookstore. I probably told this story on our podcast again, and he had a new Ray Bradbury book for me every week because I told him I liked science fiction.
0: You You know what's amazing? You have told that story so many times yeah. that I thought that happened to me. And I have co-opted <laughs> that story. It happens to people, us. <laughs> I have told people that that's happened to me. Oh,
1: that's hilarious. Well, you probably rode your bike there with me. Yeah, I'm sure we did. At some point. because yeah, we down were on Brookside. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, because uh, he introduced huh. me yep. uh, after, after going in okay. and uh, having read Bradbury. Uh-huh. He introduced me to uh, the only, one of the first series that I read after the one... I'll talk about another one here in just okay. a second, but to uh, the uh, John Carter of Mars books.
1: Oh, those are good. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, those are... start. I mean, I think they were originally written here. I've got it on my notes here. They were originally written, serialized for, for a magazine in 1912. Wow. So, you've Man. got him writing about this Civil War soldier uh-huh. who gets... Magically transported to Mars, where he can leap tall buildings. Oh, and yeah! He's he's awesome. Uh, it was great an amazing books, story. movie. Amazing.
1: Not so great. <laughs> yeah, the movie I think suffered from them
0: trying too hard. Man. I think they tried too hard. I think it should have. They should have really embraced the the old feeling. Oh of. man!
1: I noticed you have their Carson of Venus. Yeah.
0: I remember that was Carson really of Venus. amazing. Yeah, really good. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that so that was my Lewis Meyer story. Yeah, he introduced me to that. So I think I co-opted that and mixed it with my story. But the big one for me is uh, because my I was you know a church kid. Yeah, um, my dad was a pastor and 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 all that kind of stuff. And he you know was yeah. he, he had a church for fifty something years. That's right. Like. That's right. We. Uh, I grew up on C.S. Lewis. Oh, man. Reading the Chronicles of Narnia. And Classic. so when I found out that he wrote something in space, I grabbed it and lost my brain. Then, yeah. Uh, out of the yeah. Silent Planet, which was written in 1938. Yep. Uh, I love, love, love that book. And I heard about it from you.
1: And yeah. I ended up reading all the whole trilogy. All three of them, yeah. It was Out of, well, out of the Silent
0: Planet. Uh-huh. Paralandra. Paralandra. And That Hideous Strength. That Hideous Strength. Yeah. Paralandra, I think... Uh, is is second to me on that one. Yeah, that his no, strength is no. really great. As when I got older but and reread it, it meant yeah. a lot more uh, because it's all about like this authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's actually it's pretty good. Kind it's, of uh, yeah, it's sort of relevant. Yeah, <laughs> you should you should now. read it. Um, Out of the
1: Silent Planet. I, one of the things that was so cool about that was the language because those guys like C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. Yeah. You know, they were friends and they were just such brilliant linguist and yeah. remember he created a language for out of the silent planet he, he and that did. yeah he's a were the those creatures taught the guy the hrosa the hrosa the, Hrossa, the, yeah. the big sort of they are like giant like walking otters otters yeah. and they taught him their language i just i loved that aspect the first so time i would cool. ever read anything like that yeah
0: and that he just yeah. spends time with them, and he slowly starts finding out yeah, what the language yeah. is and he can interact with them and uh amazing it's just there's so many different things in there. There's those, that part when he travels in the, on the mountains, and, he, it, uh-huh. and he's all like on the shoulders of that huge creature. Yes. Um, and then in the second one, Paralandra, when he's on the floating islands, remember? That's right, yeah. Um, yeah. And you have, Rans- you have the Unman and the Green Lady. The Unman and, and the Green Lady, that's right. That's right. one of my yeah. favorite little scenes is in Paralandra, where uh, the Unman, who's essentially the fallen, he's basically... The devil, or the or fallen man, right? That's right. That's right. He is. Uh, he constantly messes with Ransom, and there's one time Ransom just wants to yeah. sleep, and he'll go Ransom, Ransom. Yeah, and he he'll, he'll wake up, and he'll go that. what? Man. And he'll go nothing. That's he's, right. He's just like constantly, just he's like messing picking with, at him, just trying to make yeah. him tired. Like, yeah, there's those little frogs. You remember? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the unmanable and just kill him just for the heck of it. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, that was crazy. But there's all sorts of really cool. Just pick. I mean, yeah. it's, they're allegorical, but not to me. They don't feel like yeah. punching the head allegorical. And they're all. And they're, how? When were they written? That was a lot. 1938 was. Yeah, if the first you book have, if out. you have
1: not read, C.S. If you're a fan of C.S. Lewis and you know Narnia and you love it and you have not read the space trilogy by all means yeah, find it and read
0: it. I think his I mean his writing style is obviously more grown up because he's writing for grown ups but yeah um, it's not like narnia Not at it's all. not it's for adults. <clears throat> and I just have to mention his best book I think that he ever wrote was Till We Have Faces. Ooh which yeah. the retelling of Cupid and Psyche. That's I think right. it's his yeah. best writing. Yeah, Oh, man. Uh, Good okay stuff. So, uh that's, I'm trying to think. So those things, that so Bradbury was a big part of it. Martian Chronicles was huge mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that led me to reading Fahrenheit 451, of course. Oh, man. Which, so good. Um, that one I like, too, because it's more about society in the future.
1: Yeah. And
0: then you look back. I, my daughter re- uh, read it recently because of school. Yeah. yeah. And she was astonished at how many things he kind of fore- foretold. Yeah. You know, like big wall screens, which That's we right. basically have now. iPods. That's right. Uh, the little seashells he puts in their ears.
1: Yeah. And and say what you like, you know, about the man's politics. I don't necessarily agree with him in all his politics, but he, he was such a good writer. He had a real subtle way of presenting his ideas. Oh, yeah. In a, in a sort of, a in a neutral way uh-huh. that made sense. Yeah. Like, just the, you know, I the book burnings and everything, and the, the firemen. and Yeah, it's really, really yeah. interesting.
0: And I just, like, for me, there's, uh, one of the things I love about Bradbury, just from a writing perspective, is his turn of phrase, you know? Yeah. Like His stuff is so poetic sometimes, it almost reads like a, like a, a long-form poem, you know? Yeah. Like, there's a line specifically, that, and this is the one I always bring up when I think about Ray Bradbury's, um, in The Small Assassin, which is a wonderful story that scared the hell out of me when I was mm-hmm. a kid. There's a part where he talks about the, this baby with pinkly elastic lips.
1: Oh, man.
0: And I remember hearing that, I mean reading that, and stopping and writing that phrase yeah, down. I was yeah. like 13 years old and going, that is amazing.
1: And whenever I walk into someone's house, and they have a giant screen TV on their wall, yeah. I immediately think of Fahrenheit 451 and, you know, and, and the consumerism in that, and how yeah. the guy... How the one, I think it was like the main character's wife, like she wanted wife, a big yeah. giant screen on every wall, you know, and he had to buy her a new one for every wall. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of how I think of someone when I walk
0: into their house and there's a
1: giant screen, yeah. you know, covering their living room.
0: And just like, oh, it's Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> it reminds me, too, I think later on when the movie Brazil came out, uh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil, which I love that movie. Yep. I always there's that uh, that that to me is always always felt like the seedy side of Fahrenheit 451. Oh yeah, yeah. with all the duct works and all the stuff. Oh, and, you yeah. Know, anyway, so that was that was a big one for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Was was finding out of the Silent Planet and that because that led us on to Ray Bradbury and, and all oh, that stuff. Oh man. Um, when I was a little kid, I there was a channel and we talked about this book once uh, mm-hmm. in the post apocalyptic stuff, but mm-hmm. because it is post apocalyptic. But uh, Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham, mm-hmm. amazing, amazing, and it's one I first fell in love with uh, the fact that it was set in the UK. Yep. Um, Anything that, set in the UK, Matt? Likes. I loved. Well, and it was predominantly be- because they had been through World War One, uh, World War One, and World War Two, and they had lost stuff already. So their imagination is already ready to go. Right. Dark. Yeah, because they've been through it. That's right, yeah. And so a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, so some of the science fiction stuff that I remember reading that was written by Americans always tended to be a little bit more hopeful. That's in a good In point. a, in a yeah. way. Yeah. Because we, you know, we hadn't been through that. That's a good point, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so you have these, yeah. Anyway, so I think that's something that they just naturally have a great, uh, they're not afraid of, of going. I mean, that's how going. Narnia
1: was born. That's yeah. sort of in the,
0: I mean, that's yeah. the main idea behind Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe is the yeah. kids being shipped off to the country. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but that, that's a great one. Day of the Triffins is, is fantastic. That was a big inspiration to me. Um, now, uh, moving further on, uh, one of the first things, like when you start reading science fiction, yeah. there are certain authors that you feel like, I have to read this because if I really sure. care about science fiction, this is one of the canonized people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Even though I was probably too young to read some of it, I got uh, I got into Isaac Asimov's stuff. Good stuff, yeah. So mainly the robot novels because they were really interesting to me. I tried yeah. to read Foundation. Hi, I robot, yeah. To this day, I've never finished the Foundation series, which is yeah. uh, that's that's a travesty, and I, <laughs> I need to fix it. I love the idea in it, but the writing for me was super dry, and I wasn't I wasn't able to really yeah. get into it. But the robot novels were really interesting because they're essentially murder mysteries yeah. with robots. And it introduces the whole robot... You know, the three laws of robotics. And it's actually a, a pretty good movie with Will Smith. I, I never I saw it. Actually, I, I like the Will Smith movie. I'm maybe, not... Well, yeah maybe I, 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 mean, I, I blocked it out.
1: You know, I, I like
0: it. I like it. <laughs> I like I, some Will yeah. Smith, man. But so there's there's those kind of people that I tried to tried to read as I was uh-huh. growing up when I started enjoying science fiction. So uh, Asimov was one of them. Mm-hmm. And then... Oh, shoot, there's so many... Battlefield, uh, Larry, Earth. Larry Niven, yeah. Uh, so yeah, robot novels. I read. I remember reading through those. Uh, so I'm just looking at my list. The next one on there is Canonical for Leibowitz. Yeah, uh, amazing. But that's post-apocalyptic, and I think we talked about that. It's a good one. And that is the end of the first part of the science fiction inspirations uh, section of the podcast. We will continue on that same discussion uh, in episode six. We're now going to move into the practices section, which is all about submitting your work to markets. And welcome back. This is uh, move. We're now moving into the uh, practices section of the podcast. Joe's going to take the lead on this one. And this one's all about what? About uh, submitting your work to markets
1: and uh, where to submit it to. And, uh, and I think, the importance of
0: submitting your work? Yeah, the importance of getting it out there instead of just sitting on it for years and years. And it's a good idea, too. I mean, the, the, only, the only thing I'll say is before we get Joe goes full bore into the biz is that um, one of the things that he's continually stressed over the past year or so, if not longer, is the importance of working towards a goal and usually that having to do with some kind of either a contest or a magazine, a place where we're going to submit stuff. And it's a way to kind of keep us all moving forward. So that's right. Uh, yeah, very cool. So go for it, man.
1: Yeah. So in our in our writing group, our uh, our Tuesday night publishing writing group, we've decided to really sort of focus on helping each other get our work ready to submit, right? Right. And, and get it out there. And so and uh, and I've been encouraged to do it more by a, by a guy, Mona Lawrence, who's helping me with my horror. You know, I'm I'm part of the Fright Club like writer's workshop and he's really encouraged me to just like really submit at least like two stories a week. Wow. And I and I'm keeping track of it in like an Excel sheet mm-hmm. that he gave me and I also have like a like a Microsoft Word sheet but and and I've read stuff from other writers and they always say just don't give up on a story. I used to I'd get 3 4 or 5 rejections and think a story wasn't publishable. But that's not the case at all. Like, I go through and I look at, I have a list here of the stories I've had published. And, like, uh, the story I had in Sunshine Superhighway, the science fiction story, Deep Dreams, I had, I'm going to count, I had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 rejections before that got submitted. And uh, some of the writers I've read say they send something out, I mean, over 40 times. Yeah before it gets accepted.
0: Why do you think... Um, do you think that you sent it to some places that it was not... Uh, I mean, apart from them maybe just not liking the story, but mm-hmm. do you think that it was a lack maybe of research on your part on the kind of stuff that they published? Or was it... Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I've gotten rejection letters that say, mm-hmm. we like what you've written, but it doesn't really fit what, we, what we're publishing right now.
1: Yeah, I get those. I mean, I, I just got one uh, the other day from a place that said they really, really liked the story, but they didn't think it quite fit the theme, and yeah. I thought it did. And and sometimes, I mean, yeah, that's a problem on my part, but also, you know, not every uh, submission call is, is well-written. Right, that's They true. may say they want something, and they're not as specific as they should be, and, and so a lot of times, it's a communication issue on both sides. Okay. And a lot of places are just sort of really open about what they want, yeah. and so you never know. I, I tend to look for
0: those. And so it's just it's a little bit of everything, right? Yeah, and I've seen, too, that I, one of the things I've noticed recently, and maybe this is just, maybe it's because I'm only looking now for the first time, but a lot of places say, before you submit anything, get a copy. Mm-hmm. And read, and so familiarize yourself with what we do publish. Yep. So that you can tailor your story to fit us. And if it doesn't fit us, then, you know, move on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what's the first big thing that you use? So
1: one of the things that I've, that's been helpful with me, and it's, I actually have gotten a couple publications out of it, is getting a Duotrope account. And um, you can use the free version of it, but it's only $5 a month. Yeah. And I recommend that. It's the where you, you just find it at duotrope.com, and it's a website where you can store just descriptions of the stories that you're submitting. It, it, it's a tracker for you, and it's also searches for publications to <laughs> submit to. Oh, so nice. I'm on the website now and I'm logged into it, and so if I go to my account and click my pieces. It has a list of all the stories here that I've submitted to different publishers and whether they've been rejected, whether they're pending, whether they've been accepted, and I can update them as I hear right. from publishers. But, and that and that's cool. You can keep track of that on your own, so you don't really need a membership to do that. It's just, it's helpful. But the best part about this is just the search. Yeah on tropes, So, I'll just give you an example here. So, I open up the search page for publishers and the first thing they have is an option to select which genre. So, you can select general, action, adventure, sassy business, <laughs> erotica. <laughs> erotica.
0: That's Matt's favorite. Yeah, it's my favorite.
1: Fantasy, horror, mystery or crime, romance, science fiction, suspense, thrillers, or western. So, say... I decide to go to Science Fiction. Now, under Science Fiction, I can select a style. So in the styles they have listed, and this is for every genre, they have this. You have Absurdist, Dark, Experimental, Humorous, Literary, Mainstream, Minimalist, Pulp, Quirky, Realist, Satirical, Surrealist, or Transgressive. Interesting, And so I'm just going to keep that open. Any style. Then they also have sub-genres of science like, fiction. Like, of like steampunk genre. And, yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, they have post-apocalyptic, apocalyptic, nice. bizarro, cyberpunk, dystopian. It just goes on and on. Retro-futurism. That's it's, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Soft science fiction, superheroes, time nice. travel. And so, all right, so let's say I'm just going to look for science fiction It's an electronic submission, and I want the pay listed on here from high to low. And do a search, and there you go. There's six pages of magazines and anthologies looking for science fiction right now. Yeah. And it categorizes them right here by the genre, the length, the pay, the media. And then I just select it. So say I select here... uh, Let's select Apex magazine. It opens up a page that gives me a preview of what their cover looks like. There's an option to go to the publications website. then there's all this stuff about oh, yeah. what
0: exactly they're looking for. yeah it breaks it all down to the different yeah. types of stuff and the subgenres and everything. So, yeah, so I'd I, I awesome. say if you have short stories and you want to get them out there, the Duotrope is very much so. Worth it. I, I know that there's another one that we have talked about called Literarium. Yeah, I'll go. Do there. you like Literarium? Uh, do you like Duotrope over Literarium because of the uh, they just seem to find more things for publishing? Yeah, you know, Literarium
1: is pretty good too but duo but uh, duotrope is more user friendly yeah, okay. i think it, it's just yeah it's easier i used
0: literarium more mm-hmm. than duotrope and literarium is really cool yeah. i
1: mean it's free yeah. and you know so i'm i'm there i'm logged into literarium now on my free literarium account and and it at the top of it it has home your work you can keep track of your stories too your, It can keep track of your submissions yeah. and markets interesting yeah so that that's another really cool one that, that I, I'll look at both I'll go through Duotrope if I don't find anything interesting I'll look through Literarium okay so
0: do so you um, just start with the one and then move on to this one I you don't do find.
1: yeah those are, the, those are the two main ones I've been using but um there are some other places you can look and I'm sure every writer has different favorite places yeah um uh, another sort of cool one that's just really more listings is a place I think I'm pronouncing it right called Raylon.com, R-A-L-A-N. And if you go to Raylon.com, it has just at the very top it has stuff like links about writing, writing help, market notes, and then it has a little place under it that says markets, right? And you can select pro markets, and this is for pay, right? semi-pro just a a normal pay, a token pay, anthologies, books flash fiction, whatever so say I select semi-pro markets it's mostly speculative fiction and it it isn't really sorted by horror or science fiction, it just lists sort of by date what's going on right now, so at the very top of it right now they have uh, that it's been updated as of July the 1st and the very first listing they have—they have three listings: uh, curiosities and gallery of curiosities is a biannual, biannual, e-book. yeah, ebook and twice monthly podcast that's looking for retro punk, weird and weird, whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's cool, interesting. And then the Dread Machine is looking for—you know—I'm pretty sure they're horror, yeah, dark fiction. Micro fiction, science fiction, dark, dread inspiring nice. stuff, right? Okay. And even says their pay, like three cents a word. And here, here's fairy tale stuff Enchanted Conversations, a fairy tale magazine, pays $50, and they want uh, fiction, 750 to 1,000 words. Yeah, nice. So, uh, Raylon.com, that's, that's cool.
0: another. I mean that reminds me a lot more like uh, the old Writer's Digest Mm -hmm. Um, you know and we when we first had our writers group we had an uh, um, an account with them like a subscription for a a couple years and then uh I kind of stopped using it and using more like Literarium and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I remember back in the day, we would buy the book and pour through the big book and that's all you could really do. Mm -hmm. But I I had a couple publications from that. I think my first thing ever was a little short horror story I had published in Scotland, of all places, and I found it in the writer's market and I had to print out the story and mail it overseas. Nice.
0: Yeah, that, yeah. Okay, hello! We are back, and we are going to dive into the narrated fiction, uh, the produced piece that we do at the end of each episode, and this week is another one of Joe's stories called...
1: A Nanotech Samsara. And Samsara means what? It's the cycle of death and rebirth in Buddhism that you're tied to on the earth. And so, um, yeah, so when you hear the story, you'll sort of understand why it's titled that. It's a science fiction story that actually appears in the Weird Book Annual, a zombie-themed That's issue.
0: awesome. That's very yeah. cool.
1: And so, uh, if you like the story, well, be sure to buy Weird Book, and if you don't like it, buy the Weird Book issue anyway, because <laughs> you'll probably like some of the other stories. What?
0: How, how many stories have you published
1: with Weird Book now? Um, so I've had one come out. This will be my second, and tentatively I have two in future issues. That's awesome. So yeah, so I'm a big fan of Weird Book. And man, it has a lot of good writers. It's cool to appear in it alongside so many yeah. better writers. Than well, one myself, of the things
0: so. I like to try and do is whenever you get anything published, or really, whenever any of us mm-hmm. publish anything, I always try to buy a copy so we have it in our writers' group kind of library. Nice. And your collection is slowly it's filling slowly out, slowly growing, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. One one of the things too is that the uh, what's his name is it Doug Draw. Yeah, Douglas Draw. He yeah. is on Facebook, and uh, I think I think you're friends with him. I yeah, want to say that yeah. I'm a part of a group that he oversees, yeah. and yeah. Facebook is an excellent way to kind of make connections.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, go <laughs> uh, check out, uh, I guess, I think the group is called The uh, the Weird Book of Startling Stories. I think, or yeah, I think that's like right. That. Yeah.
0: yeah, something like that. And so, But that's awesome. All right, well, here we are moving into the final piece of this episode. We will catch you next time. Enjoy! She whispers my name with lips like ripe strawberries, sugary and moist. Pressed together, skin against skin, all time and all space become that focal point of electric pleasure. The pleasure morphs into horror as her hand slips from mine. We're in the garden on the hundred and tenth floor of our building. She has fallen over the railing. Or have I pushed her? I try to hold on, but I'm not strong enough. Maria falls. I watch her topple over and over like a rag doll. She hits a parapet fifty yards down and her head blossoms into a red mist. She keeps falling. Dark. Mouia is gone. I sit up and I'm wet as are the sheets. No air jets. The bed programming has failed again. I stand up naked to the polycarp wall.
1: Shades off.
0: A line of black lowers and grids of phosphor green flash from one end of my room to the other. I squint and bring a hand over my face. Outside is a hovering tin, an ebony black drone that's likely a corporate scanner. SoCal is a light like a sea of neon circuses. Scanners hit all the towers, spirals, and needles while laser blue holograms sell sex, drugs, sports, and jazz. Myriads of automatons swarm through the arches and around the pipes extending from the underground to belch gouts of crimson flame into the night. I stretch and take it all in. A fool is reflected in front of me. The brilliant city is the color of his skin. There are dark, puffy circles around his eyes, and he's losing hair. He's blubbery, not the lean runner and wrestler of his youth.
1: Shades back on.
0: The line of black rises and the room is in total darkness. Dropping to the mattress, I pull on my headset and gauntlets. I haven't used the VR room in years, I prefer staying in bed. First, I flip through all the news channels. It's nothing new. Luddite cults are bombing robotic factories in Rancho, Cucamonga, and tribes from the Badlands are attacking the outer wall at El Quejon. InstaFace stock is up two points and looking bullish. And East LAFC beat West LAFC 4 to 1. Next, I scroll through my mail. It's all junk. But one ad catches my attention. The government-authorized manufacturer of self-conscious artificial beings, Scabs, is releasing a new product in one week. Exipnos Limited is offering a 15% discount on pre-orders. I told myself I wouldn't do this. It's been two years since Maria's been gone and the dreams won't go away. Sometimes when I wake, the lavender scent of her perfume hangs in the air. I can't walk on the Salona Beach wall platform without thinking of her. I proposed right under the guard tower at Roberto's Taco Shop on the middle tier of the city, and we were married in the chapel on North Grandos in East Cliff. The erotic programs with predictable plots don't do it for me, and the tins in the companion shops with rubbery skin and herky-jerky movements don't take away the loneliness. Nothing can replace her. I follow the Ex link to their website. A gentleman wearing a lab coat and a red tie greets me in the virtual lobby. His gray hair is high and tight, and his square jaw is clean-shaven. I'm Dr. Jean Marchand. I've been expecting you. Don't feign surprise. We knew you would approach us. How? Algorithm styles. Our data conglomeration and computational autonomy are second to none. You miss her. I do. I know. Let's take the next step together. A week later, Exit Limited sends Maria's consciousness programming to my inbox, and I code my polyatomic printer to fabricate the housing. Layer by layer, a small, chrome cube of one-inch sides materializes. A 3D image of Maria's face glows in the center of each prismatic surface, and if I turn the cube, I can see under her chin or the top of her head. Her eyes blink, and she smiles. That crooked smile with the left side of her upper lip raised. She mouths something. Connect
1: speakers to the consciousness housing.
0: My room obeys. Her mouth moves again, and her voice crackles from my bedroom walls.
1: Stiles, is that you? Where am I?
0: It's me. You're at home. She doesn't say anything, but she looks around. Her eyes are wide in confusion. I wonder what she sees as I lie back and place the cube on my chest. She takes it all in, but isn't smiling anymore. Finally, she speaks again.
1: Styles, listen to me. I don't like this.
0: What don't you like, baby? Am I dead? I'm stunned by the question. And all I can think of doing is ordering the speakers off. With the price tag she came with, I'm not sure I want complaints from the product. I make a mental note to include this in my InstaFace review. As I set the housing on my nightstand, I take one last glimpse... Her mouth opens wide and a yell or scream and anger flashes in her eyes. I pick up a nearby towel and toss it over her. Soon, Maria will have nothing to worry about. The nanotech will be here, and she'll have a body again. A guest has arrived. My flat makes the announcement in a bass rumble. Last year I programmed it to sound like James Earl Jones. Show me who it is. The wall next to my bed lights up. A tin with bright blue plating and ex Limited stenciled on the sides hovers in the hall. A single eye extends from a cable at the top of its boxy body, and several wiry arms dangle on each side. Pinchers at the end of one arm grip a small, black case by the handle. I never took the time to upgrade my apartment to include a butler, so I pull on my boxers and climb out of bed. Open. The doors slide apart and I motion the tin to enter. It hovers through the sterilization mist and into my room by a few feet before stopping. I approach and it scans my right eye. The second part of your purchase delivery is complete. A receipt will be sent to your account. I accept the case and it's surprisingly light.
1: Thank you for choosing Exipnos.
0: It spins around. Again, it passes through the sterilization mist, and the door shut behind it. I don't wait. I punch the code given to me at purchase into the lock, and it opens. The inside is coated in black foam. Nestled in the foam is a glass vial filled with a black liquid. I've watched the tutorial 50 times, so I don't hesitate. Back at my nightstand, I uncover the cube and place it in the middle of the bed. Maria immediately locks eyes with me. The speakers are off, but she mouths a single word over and over. No. I'm tempted to stop and contact the Exit help desk. If I wanted more grief in my life, I'd visit a VR dating hub and meet a real woman. But I remember something Dr. Machan told me. The integration of the body with the consciousness housing is what gives a scab true life. And while hysteria might occur in some products... Integration also resolves any physiological side effects. I twist off the top of the vial and pour the liquid over the cube. The substance moves with its own impetus, like a formless creature of slime, first covering the housing, then growing. Quicker than I expected, it expands, and the unctuous mass fills out and takes humanoid shape. Over hardening bones, ligaments, and muscles spread. A greasy black fetus squirms into a babe, into a girl into a woman Maria's shape and features become evident Raven hair sprouts and lengthens around her head and her skin lightens She is Maria As I take her into my arms and hug her tight, I weep From her last medical scans before she died the tech has made a perfect replication She clings to me I kiss her face and neck I kiss her fingers She grabs my hair and pulls me close she twists my neck. The sharp pain crackles through my spine like a jolt of lightning. She keeps twisting until my body is forced to follow, and she twists me off the bed. Maria steps into a soft punt. I fly across the room and slam into the polycarb wall. Phosphine explosions dance across my vision. I shake my head to clear it. It feels like I've been hit with a sledgehammer. She's too strong. Stronger than anyone should be. I try to speak, but I can't catch my breath. Blood fills my mouth. She stands, her skin glistening with perspiration. Apartment. Do you still recognize my voice? Yes, Mrs. Espinosa. Do I still have full access to Mr. Espinosa's credit account? Yes, Mrs. Espinosa. She grabs me by the hair and drags me over to the polycarb. I try fighting. I try resisting, but it's useless. I fell for Dr. Marchand's upsell. He convinced me to purchase military-grade nanotech, giving Maria inhuman strength. Damn. She kicks the polycarbonate crumples outward. The wind howls in, blowing the sheet off my bed, and the city is revealed. A vast expanse of rainbow colors glitter in the night. She grabs my arm and slings me outside. The world spins around and around as the freezing wind whips and slices and slaps at my naked body. A delivery tin zips past me and bleeps at the odd sight of a naked man falling. I somehow cease spinning and am now on my back looking up. She peers over the edge. She's smaller and smaller, and the tower looms higher and higher. She waves goodbye. i like to thank you for listening to the tales of the fantastic podcast with matthew moan and jan cameron brought to you by tuesday night publishing all music and sound effects licensed from Artlist. dot com follow us and join in on the conversation on facebook we'll see you next time